so today, again, we're in the parables, a couple more weeks of parables, um, and I, I chose this one. I was saying to the, the team when we were praying uh, before the service today, I, I love studying the word. Uh, I'm so grateful that I get to do this as my vocation, and I love studying it because I picked this parable because I think it's really interesting, and I think it had a, a bit of a different theme than what else we've done uh, so far this summer, and I love that. Um, and I also love, this happens to me all the time, you go in thinking you know what you're studying, you think you know what you're going to preach on, and then you get into it, and you realize it's deeper or different or sideways, or it's just such a beautiful thing. And I think that if I came back to the same passage of scripture next year and preached on it again, the Holy Spirit would show us new things in the word. That's just like, it's just good. And so here's my, here's my, Here's my PSA. Are you in the word, church? There's just so much there. There's so much there. Um, so today we are talking from another parable. We're in Matthew 18. So if you want to get ahead of me and get into Matthew 18, uh, be ready for it. We, uh, of course, have it loaded up in the version of uh, event app. So you can go version Bible app, and then more, and then events, and you can find it already loaded there for you. But, of course, we'll have it on the screen for you here. And there are Bibles in the, the uh, seat in front of you as well. There are some things in life that um, are super important and totally underestimated, okay? We, we, we know, or we might even know they're important, but the way we act, we don't really show how important they are. This is one, I actually have been redeemed from this one. You can ask my husband, um, but this, was, this is one that I have had to work on for many, many years, and that is something that's very underestimated but super important is um, how early you have to leave to get somewhere on time. <laughs> if you need a moment with your spouse, because one of you is the one that's always like, seriously, and one of you is like, we got time. And then you're always stressed because you, uh, if we hadn't hit every red light and the other person is saying, that's why we were supposed to leave five minutes earlier, right? Like this is how it goes. We never really, no, I shouldn't say we never. Some of you really do. I, like I said, I have been redeemed from this. This has taken years. This has taken years uh, to actually leave in order to get there on time. Another thing that's super underestimated but incredibly important is sleep. How many of you feel like you got enough sleep last night? Exactly my point, yeah. And how many of you would say, oh, yeah, sleep is super important. Like it kind of fuels your whole day. Yes, yes, of course you would. But you completely underestimate how early you have to go to bed in order to make that happen for your next day and over and over and over again. Yeah, this one's for um, uh, Joel and Caitlin who lead our financial peace group. Another thing super underestimated but very, very important is compound interest. Can I get a hallelujah from our financial <laughs> The power of compound interest over years, right? Very small thing, making a huge difference over time. Good manners are underestimated, right? It's just nice to be just kind to people and how powerful that is. Hugs, guys, just the person beside. If you know them, if you don't know them, don't be weird this morning. But if you're sitting beside someone you know, there are studies about how important that is. Do uh, you know what else is underestimated but super important? Quiet. I just, I long, I long for it in my life. I look for it. I search it out. Like, like the scripture says, uh, David says, he, he's like a deer pants for streams of water, so his soul longs for the living God. That's the quiet place. <laughs> there in the quiet place. Very important, very underestimated. And today's parable um, brings something front and center that fits very, very, like very well into this category. So elemental, 
so essential to our faith. It's so essential and, and so elemental, in fact, that you might not even realize how absolutely transformational it is for you. Scripture uses very strong language to describe it and prescribe it to us as a command and also as a gift. And if you were in prayer circles this morning, you are not allowed to say anything, but does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know? Hey, off campus, uh, if you know, you can like, I don't know, I'll give you 10 points if you can tell uh, Caitlin on, on the live stream, if you think you know, make some guesses on the live stream and maybe you can make a guess too, Caitlin, see if you know. Have you seen my notes for today? Then you can't play. Okay, good. <laughs> There's this thing that's so essential and so elemental, so foundational to our faith. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. We don't talk about it a ton because it sort of works like an undercurrent in everything else that we talk about, but it is the literal bedrock of our belief in Jesus. And it's in danger all the time of being forgotten or being taken for granted. And it's also very, very countercultural, both in its giving, giving forgiveness or forgiving someone, in, in other words, not holding a grudge or not seeking out vengeance when you've been wronged. And it's also countercultural in the other side of forgiveness, which is the receiving of forgiveness, because to be forgiven, you have to admit that you did something wrong. To receive forgiveness, you have to understand that you're being forgiven for something. Right? But it is the foundational message of the cross. It is the currency of the Christian faith. It's the vehicle of grace and of mercy. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And like usual, Jesus knows us. He knows that we underestimate the power of these principles. And we much too often overestimate our own worthiness. And so he gives us in Matthew chapter 18 the parable of the unmerciful servant. So let's read uh, that together. We're going to just, this is kind of one of those ones we're going to tear apart a few verses at a time. Um, so if, if you're the kind of person who needs to finish the passage, go all the way to the end and then you come back and join us. But we're going to do this a couple verses at a time. Let's start at verse 21. You'll see probably in your Bible that it, it's actually labeled the parable of the unmerciful servant. So you'll know where to come back to it if you want to look at it again. Verse 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 seven times. So this is the setup for our parable, you can see here. Uh, and you know what? Peter gets a lot of flack in a lot of scriptures for a lot of reasons for his impulsive comments. But I think in this case, as in a lot of cases actually, we should be grateful to him because he often says what we're thinking, but we don't have the nerve to say. So let's give Peter a little bit of grace here. And this is often translated, you might have heard it translated uh, 70 times 7 instead of 77 as it is here in the NIV. And, and really, translators will say, it could, they're not sure. It could go either way. Jesus either said one or the other, 77 or 70 times 7. The point of, is the same, which is that you're not keeping score. You're not, you're, not, you're not keeping score. It's not about the tally. It's not about the number. It's about the exponent on the number, if you will. And, and here, I want you to understand that also Peter is not being petty. He's not like try, trying to limit how much he's going to forgive. Um, he's, he thinks he's being very generous in this statement. 
because his offer of seven was twice the standard of the day. What do you mean twice the standard of the day? I'm glad you asked. Yes, they had a standard. They had a standard in their Jewish tradition of how many times was appropriate to forgive somebody. The rabbis taught that a person could be forgiven three times by another person, not by God, but by another person. And they were told like this. This is one of their teachings. If a man commits an offense, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a second time, they forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, they forgive him. The fourth time, they do not forgive. That was the rule in the culture at the time. So, and the idea for the the Jews was that this was taken from the book of Amos, where there's a series of condemnations for various nations. And it says that that there was, they were... Uh, being held to account for three transgressions and for a fourth. So there was four things that God was, was condemning them for, but also willing to forgive for. And from this, they deduce that God's forgiveness extends to three, uh, to four offenses, uh, three offenses, and he, he visits the sinner with a punishment on the fourth. People can't be more gracious than God, so forgiveness was limited to three times. That was kind of the idea. So when Peter says seven times, he's like, I am nailing it here. Like, I have got, I am so full of mercy. This is like more than double what the culture prescribes to me. So that's, that's what he's saying. So just so that you know. And that's, he's not, he's not trying to be, you know, withholding or anything. Like, he thinks he's being very merciful. So uh, verse 23, Jesus, this is now Jesus continuing to speak. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. In other words, he will never repay the debt. 10,000 bags of gold. It's as big as you think it is. It's as much as you think that number sounds like. The price for a slave at the time was between 500 and 2,000 denarii, so the sale of a servant and his family would not even make a dent in that huge debt. And really, the master here that in this story isn't really looking for repayment. He knows that, that the servant's never going to repay that much money. He's looking um, but for punishment or justice for mishandling the master's resources. And the servant would, uh, like I said, literally never be free. There was no hope of him paying this debt back, even if he spent his whole life trying. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This is where it gets exciting, right? Don't you be like, hallelujah. You can, can you see yourself in this parable? Can you see yourself? Not yet. Okay, we're gonna, it's okay. We're going to get there. That's us. That's us. We're forgiven too. Okay, don't worry about it. Uh, he canceled the debt and let him go. The master then, instead of the punishment and the justice, instead he acts in the interest of the servant and not in his own interest because the master lost a lot of money in this transaction. But he didn't ask for deferred payments or anything else. He canceled the debt entirely. He canceled the debt entirely. Verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Familiar scene, right? 
familiar scene. The description of the response to being in debt and being called to account for that debt was, is almost identical in Jesus' description here. You're falling to your knees. You're begging for mercy. You're like, please, just give me a little bit more time. And as crazy as it seems here, the language in this, the, the way Jesus is telling this, the language seems to suggest that this guy, this forgiven servant, went out deliberately looking for someone who owed him money. That's the way that the language is sort of set up here. Directly after he was forgiven that massive debt, he somehow turned around and seemed to intentionally seek out someone who owed him money. It's like, huh? The first servant owed maybe 15 years wages. Which, you know, if you were, if you were sold into slavery or something like that, you would have no, no hope of uh, being able to even earn any money to pay that back. That, that uh, 10,000 bags of gold, or as it's translated in the older NIV, 10,000 talents. The, the, the fellow servant, as opposed to 15 years wages, that his fellow servant owed about a day's wages. That's the difference in those two debts. One of the commentators said it like this, suppose these debts were paid in small coins. The 100 silver coins debt could be carried in one pocket. The 10,000 bags of gold debt would take an army of 8,600 carriers to carry it, each carrying a sack of a coin 60 pounds in weight, and they would form, at a distance of a yard apart, a line five miles long. The difference between the debts was staggering, to say the least. So surely the, the, the first servant's response to the second servant's ask for, please, would you forgive my debt, will be mercy. After he knows what he's just been forgiven, that the difference between the debts, and it's surely that's going to be his response. What does verse 30 say? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Oof. That's what my notes say. Oof. <laughs> it really does. You can check. Doesn't your blood just start to kind of boil at the injustice of that? Don't you just kind of want to shake the guy and have some words with him? It's kind of a ridiculous story now, isn't it? How? How could, how, how could someone act like that? Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And what did we learn earlier, friends? He is never going to pay back all that he owes. The master brings justice to the situation, so that's kind of a silver lining, I guess. And I do, in fact, pity the servant a little bit. I pity him a little bit, even if I think he's acted ridiculously. Because we already know there's not a chance in the world that he can pay back the money. And I, I'm sure that when he made the decision to go out and find someone who owed him 100 silver coins, after being forgiven such a massive amount of money. I'm sure that it wasn't in his mind how devastating that decision was going to be for him. It, could, it couldn't have been. It couldn't have been. That decision to withhold mercy, that same mercy that he had received, like, 
hundreds of thousands of times over had devastating consequences. I, I, I have a bit of pity on him because I feel like he just didn't think it through and now he's walking out his, the consequence of his decision. In verse 33, the master says, shouldn't you have had mercy? And the language in, in the original here is actually stronger than that, than, than it's translated. It's more like the master is saying that it was necessary. Shouldn't you have had mercy? It's sort of like, didn't you know that it's necessary for a forgiven person to act forgiven? That's sort of closer to it. You should have had mercy. It's not even the master saying you should have forgiven that hundred silver coin debt. It's not prescriptive in that way. It's prescriptive in, in the way that of, the, of the, the state and attitude of this, the heart of the servant. It's not how to do it, but it's the heart and attitude that a forgiven person walks around with. It's grace and not law. It's like, well, if you've been forgiven this many coins, then you should forgive the next person this many coins. It's an equal transaction or something like that. No, Jesus says uh, in this parable, the master says, um, shouldn't you have had mercy? Shouldn't you as a forgiven person have walked around looking forgiven? And that's the bottom line here. The forgiven act forgiven. And then a final word from Jesus, in case we didn't understand what's going on here, in case we thought he was telling a story about someone else, in case, in case we missed the point of what he says, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't know, friends, how that hits you this morning, but it's heavy. And I don't think it's meant to be otherwise. It's not, it's not meant to be otherwise. Because this is the application um, that Jesus is giving to this parable. He doesn't always explain what his parables mean. Sometimes you've got you to gotta dig it out a little bit, and that's why he did that intentionally, and he said so. But here's one where he says, listen, here's a story that you need to hear, and I want you to understand, in case you missed it, or you thought I was talking to somebody else, this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This application is not just here. It's all over scripture. It says we have to forgive in order to be forgiven. Did you know that? I don't know how, this is what I'm talking about when like things are underestimated but super, super important. We understand Jesus forgives our sins, but did you know how often scripture says to us, you need to be able to forgive other people in order to receive forgiveness for yourselves? Matthew 5, 7, Jesus says it like this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In, in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, he says it like this. And this is the Lord's Prayer. You guys may be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, some of you might not be, but the Lord's Prayer, when disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Say this with me. And forgive us our debts, or however you translate it, as we forgive those who trespass against us or forgive our debtors. Jesus, that's part of the Lord's Prayer. And then Jesus finishes the Lord's Prayer, and then these next two verses, this is what he says. After the Lord's Prayer, he's like, it's like, it's like he's thinking, I just really want to make sure they did not miss what they just prayed. That's literally what it's like. Go, into, go to Matthew 16, you'll see what I'm talking about. Jesus says, 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's in the same paragraph as the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that? In James chapter 2, verse 13, James says it like this, echoing the, the heart of the Master, speak and act like those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So tell me, have you been guilty ever of underestimating this power of forgiveness? Because I'll tell you, um, I knew these verses, but when they started to stack up for me as I was working on this message, it really hit like a ton of bricks. (laughs) Scripture is so clear about this, that we've been forgiven a debt that is beyond our paying. We, we literally can't pay it on our own. And we brought about the death of God's son because of it, because it needed to be dealt with and there was nothing we could do to repay it on our own. And our response to that gift of Jesus' life and death is to forgive as we have been forgiven or scripture says we have no hope of finding mercy. And why is that? Like, doesn't that seem a little backwards? I had to wrestle this down as I was working through this because I thought, don't you sort of have to receive forgiveness before you can understand how to give forgiveness? Doesn't this seem a little bit backwards? Did anybody else have this thought yet? But as I, as I was thinking about it, I realized that this is, it's not so much a, tra- it's not a transaction we're talking about, it's an attitude of the heart. Because if we can't forgive others, that, that means that we have not understood the mercy of God for us at all. If you're unable to offer forgiveness to someone who has offended you, you don't actually understand how you have offended the holiness of God and what you have needed to be forgiven from. And so there are two challenges in my mind uh, with this, this whole concept of forgiveness, in this culture in particular. I don't know what it was like for them when they heard this, the original hearers of this parable, these ones who were first listening to Jesus. There are two challenges that I I think that we are going to wrestle with when it comes to to forgiveness. And the first one is this. We don't recognize our need for forgiveness or how much we need to be forgiven from. So we can't offer forgiveness to others or show mercy to people who have wronged us. Because we don't understand it for really who we really are at our core. How the Lord really sees us and understands our hearts. And so we're unable to do that for others. And the second challenge is that we don't really realize how serious unforgiveness is in our lives and how damaging it is to our relationship with God and damaging it is to our relationship with other people. We don't really understand. We underestimate how powerful it is. And those two concepts are actually not that dissimilar from each other but they, uh, because they do come from the same heart. So the first piece of that, let me just unpack it for a quick minute, but then we're going to just ask the Holy Spirit to show us the things in our lives that uh, we need to deal with in this level. The first one is this. Um, We live in a culture that tells us that if we're doing our best in trying to be a good person, that that's good enough. You can't expect more from a person than them to just do their best and hope that, karma works out and the scales 
balance out in the end and somehow if, if eternity is real, that, that you're going to end up on the right side of it. And so this is the message from everywhere around us. Every major religion even around the world teaches that it's really about if you do enough to earn your salvation, then you'll end up somewhere good. Every religion except for Christianity. And so that's the message we hear literally from everywhere. And so it's very, very hard to truly feel the need to be forgiven by Jesus when you have a culture and also your own, just your own voice in your own mind justifying your actions, justifying your attitudes, justifying the things that you do from that perspective. But 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance and that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. In other words, um, when, you, when you have godly sorrow, if you understand the concept of what you need to be forgiven of, it leads you to repentance and it leads to salvation. It leads to a life of no regrets. When, you, when you're sorrowful about being, you know, you're getting caught or, or you're sorry about some of the things that are happening, worldly sorrow, things that aren't eternal, things that aren't really about you changing and being forgiven, those things are going to lead to death. And to be a Jesus follower, you have to come to a place of repentance. I know you know this. I know you know this. But I, I, I just, I felt the need to be reminded, and so here it is from me. You have to recognize who God is, that your life does not measure up to his standard of holiness, that you can't fix that on your own by trying to be better. But you need, in fact, to be forgiven and, and, but by somebody who has the power to do that. And that's the godly sorrow that leads to repenting, asking forgiveness for your sin and changing the direction of your life. That's the, the essence of repentance. And when you understand this, you know, that, you know that your debt is like that of the first servant and your life becomes one of surrender and worship to the one who freed you because he doesn't hold it over your head. He doesn't act you, ask you to earn it then. He has removed that sin from your life. He has paid the debt on your behalf. And so we sing songs like, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And then we use a gross word, but is appropriate. It saved a wretch like me, right? To see yourself how you were before Christ and to understand it is powerful. And we don't stay there, friends. Like, we don't stay there and beat, beat ourselves up because we are forgiven and free, friends. We are forgiven and free. In the Pentecostal church, I don't know about the church you grew up in or maybe you didn't grow up in church, but I'll tell you what. In the Pentecostal church, we sang those four uh, verses, well, sometimes one, three, and four because sometimes you skip verse two for no, uh, no foreseeable reason. We just did. Uh, you'd, you'd sing the four verses of amazing grace, but you were not done, were you? You were not done. Because you would say, hey, thank you, I already heard it. Was it my parents who just said it? Yeah, yeah. We would always be like, we, when we sing something like uh, grace that saved a wretch like me, I was lost but now I'm found, I was blind but now I'm free, and, and we go through the verses and then we would sing, praise God, praise God, praise God. Anyone can sing that, you don't even need to know the lyrics. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And we would just keep singing. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God. 
That's the heart of a person who understands that they were once a wretch, but now they're free. You don't sit and stew in that. You walk out your freedom. And the second piece of this that I, I, I think is a challenge is that while we may have experienced godly sorrow and repentance at some point, we always run the risk of taking that forgiveness for granted. This is very, very serious business. Have I said that enough times this morning? <laughs> Can you feel how I felt when I was working on this message? Now you get to have it from me. It's very, very serious business because scripture does not mince words about it. We can literally cut ourselves off from the mercy of God if we don't extend forgiveness and grace to the one who has offended us. I don't know how else to read those scriptures. It's heavy, but it is intended to be because it's so vital and the Lord does not want us to miss it. He doesn't want us to miss it. Jesus doesn't want us to miss out on the free gift of life and grace that he's offering. And so he more than once lays down this warning for us. You must live out forgiveness that you've received or it won't apply to you. I do not want to be in that position. In either case, whether it's tough for you to understand what you need to be forgiven from or whether it's tough for you to forgive even though you know you've been forgiven, whatever part of that challenge is hitting you this morning, either way, Jesus says, the forgiven act forgiven. That is a child of God. And if the church is a community of the forgiven, then all of its relationships will be marked by forgiveness and not just in our words, but in our actions and everything we do. We are people of mercy because we have received so much mercy. Listen, and I, 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 I want to say this too. Forgiveness, forgiving someone who has offended you, who has hurt you, there are wounds from your past, I'm sure, that are very, very difficult to get over. This is not poo-pooing that. This is not trying to whitewash that or sweep that under the rug. But I will tell you that it is worth the work to walk through this, the, the, um, the process of forgiveness in front of God. And if you need to, uh, with someone professional who can walk you through that, a counselor, a therapist. Because forgiveness doesn't let the offender off the hook and which is what our hearts feel like. Like if we forgive them, then, then it's okay what they did to us. It releases them into the hands of Jesus. That's what you're trusting Jesus with. That counts for you and me. When we need forgiveness from the Lord, because where, it, where we find it is in the hands of Jesus. And when we need forgiveness, when we go to him, we find rescue. And it counts for other people because there in the hands of Jesus, we can trust him to take care of justice, to deal with their heart, to deal with their mind, and we don't have to carry that burden anymore. Both are true. Matt, would you come? I don't know, I don't know why it is. I, I heard this when I was at camp a lot too, and I, I felt justified in it. I don't know why it helps us when there's music but the Lord helps, it helps us uh, a little bit. Um, so Matt, would you help me <laughs> this morning? I just want to invite you, if the Lord is speaking to you about forgiveness, I want to make a space to pray. This is really as simple as that. I want to pray together. I really believe that, and I've, I keep hearing this message from the Lord in different places over and over again. I really believe that we church 
need to get a hold of the fact that we need to be living and walking in repentance. We've got to be walking in a, in a place of humility. Like I said, we're not beating ourselves up or chastising ourselves every day, but, but understanding our need for forgiveness and grace and saying no to the message of the world that says, you got this, you're fine, don't worry about it, don't worry about that, that was a mistake and whatever, but to understand that, yeah, it was, and yeah, you did hurt somebody, and yeah, there are things in your life that cut off your relationship with God, and yes, they can also be dealt with because Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He paid that debt, that 10,000 bags of gold for you and for me. And all we have to say to him is, I receive that forgiveness because I recognize that I need it. That sorrow for how you've been living, that sorrow for pushing away God's best for you, God's plan for you, all of those things. I want to invite you to a place of repentance this morning. I don't know if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that. This is the space for that right now. And I also want to, for, I also want to invite you to a place of forgiveness. Because while so many of us have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, it is very easy to forget that we need to act forgiven. As difficult as it is, like I said, I'm not whitewashing that or trying to sweep that under the rug. It's not easy. I, I, I get that. I don't even have to go into it. You guys know. It's not easy when someone has so deeply hurt you. When you, it's so, it feels so justifiable to hold on to your hurt and to your pain. I feel that with you. I don't like crying it's ugly and stupid, but like I feel that with you. When somebody has hurt you so deeply and you need to say, Jesus, I'm going to need you to take care of that. And I'm going to walk in, in forgiveness because I've received it. And I trust you with the justice that needs to be done, the heart change that needs to be done, everything else that needs to be done. And I will tell you, you may have to do that today and then tomorrow and the next day and the next day and choose to walk it out, absolutely. But there are two pieces here that we can't ignore from Scripture. And all of it encompassing this, that the forgiven act forgiven. I don't want to cut myself off from the mercy of God because I'm holding on to something that I need to forgive. Nor do I want to not understand how much I've been given, what kind of a debt has been paid on my behalf, and to be the person who walks it out in every place and every space that I am. That the song of my heart is, yeah, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. But also praise God because I walk forgiven and free. So I want to invite you to stand with me and we're just going to make this place into a, a place of prayer. Um, I want to invite you that sometimes it's really a good idea to change your position. And you just did. You just stood up. I get it. I've already been standing. Change your position in prayer. If you need to deal with something before God, sometimes it is a good idea to come to these altars. Just to change your position and make a statement that I need to... Lace, I need to repent of some things in my life or I need to walk in forgiveness and I'm going to need the help of the Lord to do it, whatever it is. So this space is completely open as Matt leads us. I want to invite you to that. If you want someone to pray with you, you're just like, I need someone to come alongside and pray this out with me, just stand along the front of these chairs and we'll know that you specifically want to be prayed for. But otherwise, if you just need a minute with God, just come anywhere else uh, around the front here.
Off campus, you can take this moment as well. This is a moment of quiet as Matt leads and ask the Lord what you would need. And if you want someone to pray with you, if you want someone to be uh, alongside of you, just reach out to Caitlin, let her know, and we'll, we'll be in touch and we'll be able to connect with you in that way. We'd love to do that. Holy Spirit, we've heard your voice through the word. And you've illuminated the scriptures to us to be reminded that we can cut ourselves off from the mercy of God if we don't receive and also give forgiveness and mercy. We admit to you, Lord Jesus, that there are so many things that can come in the way of us understanding and receiving that. There are so many things that, that would cloud our vision, that would distract us, that would make us feel like we're okay on our own, that we can figure this out, that when that person apologizes, then, then we'll offer forgiveness. Or someday when I do something really bad, then maybe I'll, 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 I'll change what I'm doing, I'll change my path. But you would say, no, come first, come and change your heart first. And we hear your call. We want to be those who walk in forgiveness and act out forgiveness. So God, help us, deal with us, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Even as we worship together, we pray these songs together. God, come and deal with our hearts however you wanna deal with us. We trust you and we respond to you, your call. Thank you, Jesus. Come and pray.